or parts of it. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, James chapter four, verses one to three and seven to 10. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You call and fight. You don't have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Thank you. So we've been... The last time we were looking at wisdom, and we've seen that there's two... Two, with two types of wisdom. One is godly wisdom and one is earthly wisdom. So the earthly wisdom has um, a character which is like a, a bitter envy and selfish ambition. And we find these in ourselves. We find them rising up within us. Um, they can be over possessions, being envious of people for their possessions or their recognition. If somebody um, is kind and says something kind to somebody, we think, well, I do that. You know, why? Why? aren't they recognizing what I, I have done as well? Um, and then there's unfair correction when a typical situation in a classroom where everyone is punished for one person's bad behavior, there's um, that unfairness can produce bitter, you know, envy of the, the one that got away with it. You know, they've, they've not been punished. Um, some people's lives seem to go really smoothly and then we're the ones that have been called up to, to the mark, as it were. And selfish ambition. Um, ambition is good, but selfish ambition doesn't really care about what happens to people around us when we're making progress. You know, as long as I'm okay, you know, it's, it's a... You know, you don't mind what's happening to other people. I was trying to think how we could really recognize these issues within ourselves because it's very easy to talk about big problems, but these are recurring things in our hearts that need to be addressed. Um, in the privacy of our own thoughts, we can analyze other people and judge them and make them seem less so that we can seem better. 
Um, and if you're in a group of friends that all agree on something, we can actually feel comfortable talking about negative things together. We can grumble about other people in a comfortable place, but the fuel of that fire can poison our hearts and cause this envy and selfish ambition to grow. And it, it poisons us, it's, um, it's very destructive. So I've been like asking people, how can you illustrate this so that we can really deal, you know, a, a, a deal with it really to, to really tackle it. James is really obviously experienced this in the people that he's spoken to, the, the, the churches that he's ministering in. It's not just the outrageousness of huge problems. I think he's addressing the struggles that are within us. And I've experienced them. I've suffer from them. And we're all dealing, dealing with them in our hearts. Um, I mean, Peter talks about it and Paul, they all address these, this turmoil from of within. And in this part of the chapter, James is like digging deeper. He's, he's wanting us to work it out. We are saved. We are gloriously saved. We are so grateful for our salvation. And we're so grateful for his love and his, his, his just causing us to belong to him, to feel that belonging, to feel the peace of his presence. But it's like we're given the chance to actually work this out. Um, I was talking with somebody, praying with someone the other week, and I was saying, I actually feel honored that God allows trials to come into our lives because he's basically saying that we're mature enough to start tackling these issues. I think when we first saved, we're so, so joyous, so free. And then he wants us to start walking this life out in the day, day to day and with all the issues of this world around us. So we're given this opportunity. I'd like to read the first part again from one to three. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You cover but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So I was thinking of fights and quarrels that James could be talking about. And in, 
my mind in the past when I've thought about this I've thought about people fighting in the church and quarreling in the church um but I felt very much that the light of the Holy Spirit speaking about the internal life of each one of us that our hearts are actually refusing peace we're like mobilized in for war we agree with this earthly wisdom we agree with this bitter envy we agree with selfish ambition and our hearts are on guard and in battle formation even when there's absolutely nothing wrong going on around us that is our posture and it takes a small thing to actually knock us and it this will flow out of us i just want to spend the first half of this talk talking about our condition um james is very straight about it he talks about war uses the word war and he uses the word mm -hmm. to kill and jesus in the um sermon on the mount talks about murder well, and he uses that as a like a heading for when he's talking about how we shouldn't be angry with our brother. So there's this is two two like places we can see in scripture where it's addressed with quite straightness, strict strictness. Um, and this agreement with this earthly wisdom is like um, a friendship with the world it's enmity against God and God opposes the proud and he shows favor to the humble so the next part part of my talk I want to say how do we get from this earthly wisdom that is vehemently defending ourselves to the heavenly wisdom that is firstly pure and peace loving and considerate and submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere and peacemakers so in peace, they reap a harvest of righteousness. And how do we get there? So the second part of the talk, I want to talk about submitting to God, resisting the enemy, coming close to God, and washing ourselves and being humble. So those five points, right? So there's su submission, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, Draw near to God, wash yourself, and to be humble. So we're reading the second part that Tony read to us. 
Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash you, your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Submit yourself to God. The word submit is, in our English language, a bit too passive. It's, I think we think about it like if um, we eventually submit is because there's no other choice. Like the, the, the superior force has overpowered us and we've given in. But the ideal in the Greek that James is using in the word submit is to make, have an allegiance with a superior power. To be engaged under his banner and to be, obey his commands is much more of a choice, an enlistment in his kingdom is and i was thinking of it like a vassal state where a, a smaller country has come under the protection of a a bigger power and we benefit from his the protection and we vow allegiance and we pay homage and we're faithful to that power so it's a more deliberate choice than just giving up if you see what i mean and then to resist the devil is too active, this word, to resist. Sound, could sound like uh, we were attacking a camp, um, a military camp, and going to war against something. But what James is really meaning by resist is to man a defense that's already established. It's like there's this tower of a stronghold, a good stronghold that God has placed us in, but we're constantly under attack. And the pressure is ceaseless, but we resist. There's a statement that I read in this commentary recently that said, there's no act of consecration to God that will take us out of this conflict. This is where we're gonna be for the, li the lifetime that we're here on earth. We're gonna be in this stronghold that God's prepared for us. It's safe and he's in his care, but we have to resist the enemy because he's not gonna to cease to bombard us with negativity and lies and accusations. So we're to resist him, but notice that who are the ones that are asked to resist this evil? The ones that are asked to resist are those that have already submitted their lives to God. So that's in the empowerment is in the submission to God, is in the yielding to him, in coming under his, his power, his dominion, that we have any strength at all against this enemy. So that is to resist. 
Coming close to God is like deliberately choosing to build friendship with him. Friendships need building. They need us to add something to it, to constantly bring it into our, our minds and pay attention to friends and they grow in different ways. So there's a tension and building that's needed and that God's re requiring us to come near to him. But we're encouraged by that pro the promise. In the next part of that verse, it says, and he will draw near to you. So it's the promise that comes second. And we would love it if the command came second and the promise came first. Wouldn't it be wonderful that every morning he showed up in your bedroom and he started the initiated the conversation? Um, I think we would be overwhelmed by it, but this is a command first to draw near to God and the obedience initiates the promise that he will draw near to us. It's like his reward when we obey him and coming close. And he, this obedience causes grace, more grace in our lives and it empowering grace to walk this life. Number four, he's, he's asked us to wash our hands and our hearts. Uh, the hands mean our actions, everything we do, everything we plan and, and take part in, we're to cleanse this and our hearts are our motives deep within us. Why do we do these things? Why are we doing them? We can um, do the right things for the wrong motives, can't we? We can do what we like. And even in ministry, we can enjoy different aspects of it that suits our character best. I mean, I'm a quiet person. I like to be on my own a lot. And so praying would be great <laughs> or studying the word. And then there's others of us that love to be out and being with people. So we can um, do the visiting of the sick and enjoy that. So we have to watch our motives for doing everything. So that's washing. But I was thinking when I was thinking about washing um, and this whole idea of working out our salvation and humbling ourselves before God, it's in God's plan. He made us a little lower than the angels. To come into salvation, we need to understand and identify our sin. When we first got saved, that was our desire to get close to Jesus, to become his friend. We repented of our sin. But this is like a way of life to understand when we make wrong actions, wrong mo motivations, 
um, the, the message came to the, the early church when they first started preaching, when we've been studying the Acts, it, there was a phrase that said that they were cut to the heart. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is like that. It's, it needs to reveal to us our sin. And it's like an operation. It can cut to the heart because it wants to free us. It wants to change us. But when we come to that brokenness of how we have failed, how we have been weak and a, a, a lowly, and we discover that Jesus is there already. It says in Revelation 13, 8, the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. So any of his creatures, his creation of mankind, as we are, find our brokenness, we discover that Jesus is already there. And I had a vision of a little while ago where I was looking into Jesus's face and our faces were like this apart. And his, his face was broken in the sense of the scar, the whipping of his crucifixion. He, his face was broken. And yet I was looking straight into his face into like our noses were touching. But the intimacy of it was showing me that it was safe to feel that brokenness. It was safe to feel that humility. But he has risen. He's risen from the dead. And there is a safe place where we can be honest about our failings and where we can wash each other's feet. And in the Kintsuki, we're hope, we've been studying honesty. And there is a safe place where we can be honest about each other's journeys. And it's safe because there's no condemnation. There's no judgment. But we can wash each other's feet. And when we think of washing each other's feet, you can, it's, it feels like we're doing a religious act sometimes and it's cute and it's I'm fun and, or and it's a bit scary for some of us are a bit quieter and more reserved um, but I just see this as a way of life that we should be able to forgive each other and cover each other's weaknesses that is what washing each other's feet means we are saved we have been washed by Jesus's sacrifice. We have been sanctified, set apart for God and made holy. We are justified, declared free of guilt. But we can, like Peter, Jesus washing Peter's feet. We are tainted by the world. We are still walking in this world and we still carry are like a fallen nature within ourselves that we need to keep washing our feet. But he seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus.
So that was my long bit about washing. I just love that bit. I just wanted to share that with you. In our logic, we think that we need to clean up before we come to God. But here we see that when we've come to God, we then we wash because it's his holiness that influences us and it demands holiness and it motivates us to be like him. So you, you sometimes see people longing to put their lives right so they can come become Christians, so they can come to church. Um, but no, we come to him just as we are. And in that time, we then wash, we are washed and we wash ourselves. And the last word is being humble. So the, the passage that we read is grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. It's the grace of God that we can actually see our sinfulness, our wretchedness. It's the grace of God that helps us to obey him. And as we obey him, we find even more grace for our lives. It's God's purpose to lead us down, to humble us under his mighty hand to the lowest place because there's no other way up and he will exalt us at, in due course, in due time. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And the last little bits of that chapter talks about not boasting what we should do, we're going to do, but get used to saying God willing. And I think during this time of um, lockdown and this pandemic, we have really learned again how to say God willing in our lives. We've had the power in the past to make things happen the way we want them to. Um, and now we've realized that everything can stop. Everything has. And in that humility, we've started to say God willing again. Amen. Thank you.